As Pastor Berto said, my name is Peter, and I serve as one of the leaders here alongside him and our elders. I, uh, I want to give a shout out on, on the, uh, the live stream to my wife and children. They are at home today. Uh, one of my children had a sore throat, and we're almost certain it's just, uh, you know, allergies. In fact, we're pretty certain that's what it is. But what I love is that because of all y'all, let, let's, let's embarrass them, everyone present, the folks at the media table, all the hard work they do, they make it to where it's easy to participate in the church even while being cautious. And that's important for us as a church to build together in the long game, whether it's, uh, whether it's having services all together or our growth groups. We want to proceed with caution and faith. And they've enabled us, thank you guys, to be able to do that and to be Christians and follow Jesus together and be responsible. So praise God. Again, today we carry on with week three, chapter three of of Acts in our study called People of the Way. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And if we are his people, we're people of the way. And we'll walk in his way. And if not, we aren't. Because listen, if we die to ourselves and and simply put faith in Jesus that his work on the cross is enough, the cross and also nothing else, if we simply believe by grace through faith, it's not fair, it's, it's grace. If we believe in him, then he'll transform our hearts And he'll also transform our ways. Now, I could end the service right there because that's important. That's the gospel. Jesus saves sinners. But wait, there's more. There's more power to grow in that. We're going to go to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. There's no wind inside. This is a little challenge. Okay. We're going to be Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms or uh, to ask for for giving, um, for money, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on him. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people, verse 9, saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Father, may, may our seeing and giving and touching enable the walking and praising of others that the world would look on in amazement to your glory. Amen. Amen. So church, I'm going to preach as I normally do from, from the first part of our passage all the way through down to the last part of our passage. And instead of having a, a, a simple point, I'm going to make a few points of what I think are important and invite you to take notes in your own Bible so that when you go from here, you can also see what the Holy Spirit is showing you in your own Bible. Now, the way that I normally preach through is just a, a few basic points or a big idea, but today, what guides how I, I want to preach from verse 1 to verse 10 and, and honestly communicates my desire for what God does in us is a simple prayer, and that is this. May our seeing, giving, and touching enable the walking and praising of others that the world may see and look on in amazement. I'm going to ask you to apply your own faith to those words and say them out loud with me. Repeat after me. May our seeing and giving and touching. You guys can say it louder just to encourage me. Enable the walking and praising of others that the world would look on in amazement. Lord, let that be our prayer in an increasing way. So let's go to verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Stop there for a second. This is a, a specific hour, a specific chronology, if you will. And you need to know that in the New Testament, it's really rare for New Testament writers to get specific about times and chronology and things like that. And, and it's rare to us because too often we judge these writers of the, of the Scripture, especially these Middle Eastern Semitic cultures, we judge them based on our Western mindsets. And that's really, really silly at best. The New Testament writers told the story of Jesus to their audiences in ways that were fitting and authentic and credible to their audience, not in ways that are beholden to our modern standards of reporting information. And nevertheless, even though it's rare for them to get specific about times, we have this specific time in chronology, the ninth hour. And that's important. The word translated hour here means a certain and definite and fixed time. So eyewitness testimony declares to us that this is an important time. And you might say, okay, Pastor Peter, what's important about it? Tell me. My answer might surprise you. My answer is, I've studied this enough to know that it's important, but I don't know why. My answer is, I don't know. And that reality is kind of 
maybe serves as a bigger message in general that I hope helps you. That sometimes there are things that you can have reasons to assert and trust that certain things and truths are important, even if they don't correlate with your understanding. That's a really important message. My, my not knowing, maybe perhaps our not knowing, in this case, can relate and bless us to a lot of the other ways that we read the Bible and trust God in life. Sometimes you can trust and not exactly know in particular. In church, you need to know that there are so many important things in the Bible that will supersede your understanding time and time again. And the question of your life and the, the question of the direction of your relationships and your future and your ability to follow Jesus as a disciple is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that when you don't understand everything that you nevertheless have reason to trust? We have so many reasons in the Bible as verified by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and as certified by eyewitness testimony, so many reasons to believe that God is all-powerful and sovereign. And how many of y'all have tried to process that in your mind? We also have reason to believe that God is good. And when is God good? God is good. And all the time. Praise God. It's easier to say that than to trust it in the various moments of life. So what are you going to do when maybe perhaps you, you're reading the Bible on your own time and you get to certain parts of the Bible, maybe Joshua, I don't know. You, you, you read things that make it particularly challenging for you to understand how it is that God is good here. Or parts of your life where you don't understand how it is that God is being good to me in this. In a major diagnostic question to literally your future, and I'm not overstating this, is in that moment where you don't understand how God is good, will you question whether or not God is good, or will you question your own understanding? That's a big question. Sometimes there's truth in the Bible, big truths, or seemingly comparatively smaller truths, like the ninth hour thing. They're important even if we don't understand why. 23 years ago, next Wednesday, I uh, finally relented to my friend Josh's invitations and went to a Bible study, a student-led campus ministry on my high school campus. And I was, prevented, I was presented with the gospel that, that Jesus saves sinners. And thankfully, he'd shown me that I'm one of them and I need saving. And something happened to me and I became a born-again Christian, a, a, a person that follows Jesus. And I've never been the same. And listen, that was on a Wednesday. That same Saturday was my first discipleship appointment where I met with a mentor. I rode my bike across town to Riverfront Road. And the very first moment, Ian, my disciple leader, made me memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will straighten your paths. And listen, that's a promise you can take to the bank. You maybe have been trying to straighten your own paths. But if you trust in the Lord beyond your understanding. See, I was saying earlier that sometimes we have to trust in the Lord 
kind of aside from our, our understanding, but sometimes we have to tr- trust the Lord in direct contrast to our understanding. But will we trust in the Lord? So back to our text, some of y'all are like, man, this is just verse one. Are we ever going to end? Well, trust in the Lord. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know, again, why this is an important hour, but I have one observation, and this is a kindergarten observation that might help you. They came to a prayer meeting at a specific time in a specific place, and God showed up. I told you it was a kindergarten observation. God showed up. See, there's something silly about our our generation that often believes that God only moves in the spontaneous moments of life. And that's evidently not true. They came to a prayer meeting at a specific time in a specific place, and they saw a miracle that would transform many lives. And now we're talking about it 2,000 years later. And some of y'all today, so many of us came here today, right, to a certain time in a certain place, and we showed up on time. Well, not all of y'all showed up on time, okay? But there's something spiritual about meeting in a certain time in a certain place, right? And God shows up. Now, it's, it's not what happened wasn't within their expectations of what was going to happen, right? It, it didn't fit within their plans. But they came with a watchful expectation and a, a certain type of seeing that we'll get to. Let's, let's see what that seeing looks like. Let's go on next few verses, starting with verse 2. And a man lame from birth, was being carried, whom they'd laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him. King James says, fastened his eyes on him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Beloved of Jesus, may our seeing lead to kingdom power. You know, so often we walk right by kingdom opportunities because we fail in the seeing before we even have a chance to fail in the doing. Lord, let our eyes be like your eyes. May we see what you see, may we have your gaze. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Stop there real quick. Lord, may our seeing and our giving cause an eruption of power for your name. It's interesting here, he's, it says that It was so demonstrable how little he had that he could just be like, look at us. And it verified that he had nothing. And and I looked up this word when he says, silver and gold have I not. It literally means he, he didn't have anything. Think about that for a second. That means that the poorest among us today have significantly more than what Peter had in that moment. And yet he gave generously. Think about that. Think about all the excuses I make when I, probably like you, tend to compare myself to people who have more than me. And yet Peter was saying, 
He, Peter was too wrapped up with all that he had. And he was generous to give. Lord, help me. This is a radical element of, of knowing kind of also contextually that the chapter before uh, all of the Christians, thousands of people, including Peter and John, had already rendered everything to the, the pot, the, 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 the church movement. We'll get back to that. That was, that was key to this. But I, I want to ask you, what about you? I want to ask a few personal questions, and, and I'm hoping that you would take it personally. First question is this. What do you have? What do you have? Now, I don't know what you have, but maybe you do. Maybe you know more than I do. Personally, I have a lot more than Peter had here. That's one of the things that distinguished me from this first Peter here. I have gold and silver and more than that. What do you have? Another personal question. Do you give what you have? Do you give what you have? We've talked about tithing, um, giving your first 10% to the church. And that's meant to be a blessing. Have you rendered your portion to the community movement like Peter and John did the chapter before here? Have you given of your time and talent and treasure uh, to, to see Jesus lifted up in his people? You know, it's, it's amazing how I used to think like, man, uh, once, once I have more time, I'm going to do that. Or once I have more, more, more money, I'll give that. But it's amazing how it, your value of something changes after you're already investing in it. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He didn't say, I know what, where your heart is. It'll, the, the, the treasuring will come along eventually. No. God wants us to be free of anxiety and not controlled by the, the fear of what we don't have. He wants us to abound in what we do have. God wants you to be free of worry and poverty and lack and to use you as a vessel to feed others and heal others. And listen, I'm not saying someday when you have more time or more money or more faith. God wants to use you right now, today, to feed others and to, to heal others that are sick. He wants to heal your eyes and, and to help you to see and to give. And the question for me, I'm only responsible for, do, do I give? Another personal question. Do you give your best? Specifically, Peter didn't have money, but he had something better. He had the best, and he gave the best. And when I look at my life, I so often withhold from people the best in the midst of all my material concerns and opinions. If I look at my social media account, I see that I, often I'm spouting preferences and opinions about worldly matters, which is, sometimes correlates with the glory of Jesus, and other times it takes away from it. And I know I'm picking on myself, but look, I've seen some of y'all's social media too, and some of y'all are worse than me, so don't pick on me too much. Point is, is, Lord, help us to give. Help us to be more and more increasingly generous. So there's nothing wrong if, if for instance, you want to lovingly admonish things in the world that, that you feel uh, displease God and call them out or whatever. But if your admonishment ends in judgment or if your admonishment ends in despair, then either delete it 
or keep going. Please keep giving. Give more. Be, be more generous. Say the name. Bring Jesus into the center of your concern. Amen? I need to get an amen on that. We need to preach more. Notice here, again, what Peter didn't do here. Peter didn't disparage this man, this man who was crippled, he was lame. He didn't disparage him for not doing more to care for his own needs. He didn't say, you need to get a job and stop being lazy. And that's what some of us give. I've been guilty of that at some points. But, but listen, on the other hand, Peter didn't despair the society at large for not giving more of their silver and their gold to meet this man's need. No, he, he gave what he had, and he gave his best, and he spoke the name of Jesus. Verse 6 continues like this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, Peter was declaring the name that's above all names, even as he was demonstrating the name. And it's the same as saying he was declaring the power that's above all powers. Because the power and the name can be used interchangeably here. Peter was declaring something that's far beyond what we often think we need. The power and the name. Devils tremble at the power of the name of Jesus. Nations rise and nations fall. But the power of Jesus remains. I love this country. But there's going to come a time where this country will cease to exist. And yet his name, his words, his power will never pass away. Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is not a person in existence that will fail to to authenticate that reality that Jesus is Lord. And the truth that Jesus is Lord will resonate in the ether of eternity forever. It will never not be a thing. Jesus is Lord. A little preview for next week, Acts chapter 4. There is no other name under heaven that is given by which people must be saved. This is the name of Jesus. And so if we are named by this name, why would we give anything less than this name? Lord, help us. Imagine imagine a bellman. And I know that we don't live in New York City. That's why I said imagine a bellman, someone who's supposed to help you get to your hotel room. Okay, you go to the bellman and you say, hey, hey, can you help me get to room 811? And the bellman says, yeah, okay. Um, he's, by the way, standing by the elevator, and he says, see, see the stairwell over there? You go up that stairwell, carry your luggage up the eight floors, and then you'll see a map that, uh, that helps you to find room 811. Have a good day. That would be absurd and awkward because... He has the power to push the button and bring you up on the elevator and bring you right to his room. And not just that, he has not only the power, but also the responsibility to help you. And that's why it would be absurd. And in the same way, we're often making people climb stairwells, if you will, that God didn't intend them to climb. Stairwells that Jesus already climbed for us. We're we're making people 
to get to the message of Jesus climb through stairwells of conservatism or wokeness or what have you. And, and maybe we'll, we'll push the button and state the name and lift someone up and love them. If, if you catch us on a good day and I'm not too annoyed with you and I'm feeling kind, but that's not okay, y'all. And, and this would be a lot more awkward if I spoke in specifics and not in metaphor, so I'll keep going. But in specific with me, that's not my story. Jesus didn't wait for me to climb out of my perversion and prejudice and manipulation and ignorance and immaturity before he sent Josh into my life to pull me up unto Jesus. And Josh, you know, pushed that button and brought me up with Jesus. And since then, being placed in that position, there's been a lot of moments where I've had to allow my mind to align with that new state of being that Jesus pulled me up into, to align with the love and the justice of God. But it didn't start with me pulling myself up. Check out verse 7. And Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now let's pause there for a second. This is a picture of the gospel. We can never pull ourselves up and make ourselves strong. Jesus meets us in our weakness and pulls us up. That's the glory. Every other religion we try to get to God And Jesus is different in that he comes to us in our weakness. And he flushes the death of our sin and our figurative weak ankles and enables us to walk when we have no power to do so. He rose from the dead and he gives us life from the dead so that it enables our walking. This is a picture of that. Verse 9 Leaping up, or verse 8, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, leaping and praising God. So Peter spoke the name and lifted him up before the beggar got himself up by his own bootstraps, as it were. Peter reached out and touched him and grabbed a hold of him. He risked applying his words in action. And if we're going to rightly risk and love people and wield the power of Jesus' name and pull them up, we too are going to need to risk touching people. Now, I understand that with COVID-19, actually physically touching people is a challenge and we have to proceed with caution, as I've said. But if you're going to declare the power of Jesus' name in, in people's life, you're going you're gonna to have to risk the inconvenience or humiliation of what it means to touch a person's life. And as you do, they'll walk and praise God. And notice how this man, immediately, the first steps that his renewed feet go into the temple of God. Listen, when we touch other people's lives, it's not so that they can agree with our opinions. It's so that they can enter the presence of God with us. Lord, may our seeing and our giving and our touching stir a revival And what's the result of this? Last few verses, verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate before the temple asking alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. See, no one could deny what had happened to this man in particular. They were trying to deny what happened to Jesus 
but when you resurrect from the dead in a city that it would be most easy to disprove and you can't have it disproved, you could, people can make a lot of efforts to, to, to not recognize it. But, but this man, they saw the healing. And listen, this, this word amazement, Luke, the physician who wrote the, the gospel account of Luke and wrote, who wrote Acts, he, he was a man who gathered a lot of eyewitness testimony and he carefully chose this word. Amazement, the original word he used in the Greek was ecstasis, which is where we get our English word ecstasy. But listen to what it literally means. It literally means a throwing of the mind out of its normal state. Listen, all the people who saw this miracle were thrown in their minds because they couldn't deny it. Have you ever noticed how rare it is to get someone to change their mind about something today? I mean, you can offer certain reasons for them to change their mind, and they'll repurpose those same reasons as evidence to continue believing what they want to believe. Now, don't, don't miss the fact that, that, that that's you and me too. But nevertheless, when people see God move, whether it's a physical miracle like this or, or a miracle of God changing someone internally to where they were a certain way, And undeniably, they were lifted up and and brought into a place where they're not the same anymore. You cannot deny it. Your your mind will have to change about it. And so maybe practically what that means is a few things as we close. Maybe for you that means that you, like me, need to stop giving other people facts about things. But you need to share your story about how Jesus lifted you up unto new life. And maybe for you, that means that today, September 6th, 2020, you need to take Jesus' hand as he's reaching and pulling you up out of life as you know it and out of your normal state of mind to a renewed state of mind. Holy Spirit, help us to judge for ourselves where we are in that spectrum. And if that's you, if... If the Holy Spirit's telling you that's, that's you, you need to take his hand and rise up to new life. I want you to know that he sees you, even as we're praying right now, whether you're opening your eyes or you're closing your eyes, he sees you more clearly than you see yourself. And so he does not need for you to respond in some way but I'm going to challenge you that if that's you for your own declaration of faith for your own life, if you sense the Holy Spirit saying, this is you, you need to take my hand and receive new life that I'm giving right now. If that's you, I want you to to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Declare it with your own faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Lord, help us to be declarative in faith and not just embarrassed. Yes, Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you for the hearts and the hands. And Lord, even as this this new life did not begin with my preaching, we trust that you who began a new work in us will see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I'm asking, Lord, for the, the hand that was lifted as well as all of us, that we would continue to take your hand and tell your story and that 
Lord, I'm praying for a supernatural work to the degree that our seeing and our giving and our touching would supernaturally enable the walking and praising of others that the world may see and look on in amazement. In Jesus' name, amen.